Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Joshua Moore is a counselor at Alternative Behavioral Therapy in Vancouver, Washington, who specializes in neurofeedback and trauma. Reese Pasimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in addictions, sexuality, gender, and spirituality. Thanks for listening and for joining the conversation. Smart Council, things to consider in counselor education. Smart Council provides perspectives and resources on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese. I'm Joshua. And we have our very special guest today, Dr. Kristen White. How are you doing today? Great. Excited to be here. Good. I'm glad you could finally make it. Me too. Thanks for your patience and Um, for having me. Absolutely. Yes. So... Briefly, for the listener who is unfortunately not as acquainted with you as I am, what is your corner of the counseling world? So I was trained very much as a generalist. I'm a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, but at the moment I am directing the master's program at Multnomah University, the master's in counseling, and trying to figure out how to educate counselors on a broad scale. Very cool. And this Multnomah place, I think I've heard of it before. Yes, <laughs> yes. Great place. It is. A few of our guests have been from a Multnomah. A few of our guests. Just a couple. A few of us in this room, too, are from there. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. So me and Josh are both alumni from Correct. this particular program. Yes. And I think we both went to the undergraduate as well. I think we both, we did. Yes. Gosh, we need to get away from here. But don't <laughs> no. leave. I'm <laughs> trying to talk Josh into teaching for us. Don't leave. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm okay, not, good. Yeah, me neither. Good. Multnomah has been a very good home for us. Yeah. I'm very grateful to be here. I'm from California, as you know, so uh, I was not an alumni, but I'm really grateful to be here and part of this community. It's definitely a really special place. Cool. Yeah. So, quick tangent, get to know you a little bit. Uh, What's everybody reading these days, whether clinically related or not actually i don't i can go first i have been reading the a lot of information about the enneagram that is a test that i didn't learn about even in my doctorate but i seem to constantly find people that talk about what type they are so i've been doing a lot of reading and um, even found some ce's so for our listeners what is the enneagram Oh, you're going to, I feel like I'm on like a test Sorry. now. <laughs> that's okay. It's a personality test um, from what I remember. Is that right? Yes. It's a personality test that's supposed to be a little bit more broad, not just pathology, but a more whole picture of the person. And there's nine types. There's, it's known for some spiritual integration as well. So I, I couldn't tell you a lot about that's that okay. part yet, but yeah. I'm learning. So. And it's a really old test, isn't it? It like is. Back to like Socrates or something. Supposedly has okay. very, very old roots. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So I'm learning about that. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, How about you guys? I am reading the Philokalia, which is a book of Orthodox church writings from like a thousand years ago and it's a big compilation of, of writers. Um, but for more modern times, I, I picked up um, Mending the Shattered Heart by Stephanie Carnes. It's about supporting the partner of an addicted person, particularly sex addiction. It's I'm going to be taking the second module in the uh, certified sex addiction training in a few weeks in July back in Colorado. And it's a beefy program. It's a beefy. It's a beefy. Very, very beefy. Lots of beef. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and this book is my homework. So mm-hmm. excellent. Very cool that you're doing. I love this. I hear this theme of development, right? Lots from of all of us, and yeah. I love it. Ongoing yep. learning, which For is sure. a beautiful part of our field most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'm reading 12 Rules for Happy Life and uh, the book Attached currently. Okay. And uh, yeah, those ones are kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I'm going to have to so. look them up. Yeah, very good. 
I'm mm. reading The God-Shaped Heart, too. Do you guys oh, know this yeah, book? Mm-hmm. That's Are a good you familiar one. with it? Okay, yeah, we'll have to debrief it's, it later. It's kind of an is, old book, too. It's been a long it? time okay. since I read it, though. Uh, one of my students gave it to me, so thank you to David, but I'm curious mm. to go back and I need some theologians to process this with me. It's Great. an interesting yeah, book. Yeah, we will yeah. always volunteer. Yeah, another yeah. another That's conversation my, my, later. One yes. of my main passions right there. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Very cool. cool. So, so next podcast episode, we'll talk about. Yes. That. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounds so. good. So this is what you know. Kristen doesn't know about us, but with each podcast, we usually leave with four or five new ideas for the next podcast. Uh-huh. I love it. And obviously, that's that's not going to work. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> hey, some of it can. I'm some of them sure. are great yeah. ideas. They really yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. The, the question is, are you writing them down someplace? No, no, we we we, we never want to do right. that. Yeah, <laughs> make me way too organized. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So we are developing as counselors, as people, which I feel is well, I I would rather be developing than atrophying for sure. Speaking of speaking of development and counselor education, so Kristen, do tell a little bit what draws you to counselor education what drew you to this position didn't know we were going to start there um Uh, definitely god i i didn't i was was not my career path actually i very much felt called to bind up the brokenhearted and felt called to really be a counselor and didn't see education as a part of that but god is kind of slowly just one step at a time that's a long story taking me step by step and even here i didn't apply for this position but the door opened and i said no a couple times actually before i said yes not because I don't love it, but just because it's a lot of responsibility and I take it really seriously of trying to train new counselors and those lives we're shaping as well as all of the clients they're going to impact, which is wonderful and scary. So yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really holy task, just like sitting with clients, but definitely was not the one I chose for myself and very much a God thing. I resonate with that and that I didn't necessarily choose this path for myself either. I think well, professionally, originally, I wanted to do like youth ministry in a church context, and right. that didn't work. And I remember those days. Yes, those days. <laughs> those days. Uh, that were those were the days of the trench coat. Believe it or not. Yes, and I still love that version of you. Uh, it was. <laughs> it was. It was really, really. And then uh, teaching sort of came up by accident too. Not by yeah. accident. Very providentially. But I wasn't necessarily looking for it. But then when it came up, it was really fun. Yeah. And then that opportunity just exploded. So it was, it was good. And I, you know, me and Josh, we were just talking before about mm-hmm. thinking, I mean, we love our work. We love our counseling work. Teaching is really cool yeah, and mm-hmm. a nice alternative. And I've always really loved when I could be teaching and practicing in the same discipline yeah. simultaneously. Absolutely. Like they really inform each other. And I discovered pretty quickly, I don't know about you guys, but when I actually finished, you know, my degree and got licensed that I didn't have enough emotional space to see clients four or five days a week mm. full time. Well, I mean, I could have done it and gotten through, but I, I just didn't have the emotional space that I wanted for those clients. So right. I think not everybody can be Steve Stevens and see like 14 people a day. Right. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't even fathom. I no, feel I like know, I could maybe see like four a day really well. And right. that's about it. So uh, teaching was sort of sure. I'll try a hand at that. And like you said, ended up loving it and got us just slowly one step at a time, moved me into more teaching and administration. And I just laugh and go along with, for the ride. So, right. Well, I thought I would be doing the the neurofeedback forever until I started uh, helping other people open their clinics Mm -hmm. and then watching that it was way more fun to see them start. Yeah. And to to hear their success stories coming back, way more fun to to watch other people succeed that you fed into. Absolutely. Um, And and that, yeah, I'm, I'm having those experiences myself, but 
for some reason not as satisfying. Right. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Well, it's a different part of you. It taps into, right. So. Where yeah. you're getting to train and develop and celebrate mm-hmm. other successes. And I find mm-hmm. some of the things that draw me to counseling and some of the skills I've learned end up playing out in ways that I maybe wouldn't have expected working right. in my roles. So I'm amazed how much of it is shepherding even of students and also faculty and staff. And there's I'm not their counselor, but there's some similar listening and being a part of their journey. It can feel, it can feel similar sometimes. Right, yeah. that can be amazing sometimes, the parallels. So, yeah. I think in a cohort style, we just kind of all feel like we're in group therapy. Right. Yeah, sometimes the you time. are. No, yeah, sometimes yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this podcast, when it was yeah. created, was initially intended to be for for other practitioners and for counseling students and for prospective students. So... Perhaps we can turn this conversation a little bit toward the prospective student or the current mm-hmm. student uh, mm-hmm. and speak specifically to students who are considering joining the counseling field, considering picking a program to do the counselor education at. Kristen, what do you see are some really important things to consider when selecting a program? Uh, great question. I'll answer it. I would also add, you know, some of that could be relevant even to practitioners because we're always selecting ongoing training and That's things true. too. So That's it's true. a little different, but what are the things we're looking for? Obviously, you want to find an, a program that has accreditation and that is really invested in teaching the right counseling knowledge and skills. I think any program that is accredited is probably going to be teaching similar skills, at least if we're talking about like LPCs, social work programs might be a little different, but they're going to be similar because so much of that is set out by accrediting boards and things. And so then I think it gets more to where are their faculty that a student can connect with? Where are their modalities that a student feels excited about? Is there community that can support them? How do they think about training the student and really the formation of the person. So I think it might get to some of these deeper issues once they've kind of checked the boxes for just the logistical, practical things on the surface. Yeah. Some of the logistics like accreditation and right. specific course material, like right. every program is going to have, you know, human growth development, basic theory, right. that's covered. But some of the less tangible, but really deeply impactful things, like what's the community like, what's the right. personality how, how open are the professors to having lunch with you in the cafeteria right. and <clears throat> really investing in you as a person? Um, right. Those are really essential things, too. Absolutely. And does it feel like a community where they're going to be supported or does it feel more like a competition or a degree mill, right? Things like that. How much time investment is there? I mean, we could go at this from lots of angles, but I even think about, you know, I wouldn't support a fully online program for counselor education as an example I've worked in online programs and I think there's some good hybrid ones out there but just the nature of the counselor skills that might not be mm-hmm. the kind of investment that a student yeah. is looking for as just an example so so much of counseling is modeling right and online I'm just I can't visualize how that could possibly work yeah yeah <laughs> you know um, that, that's why we do the, the triads and you know we're doing this kind of mock counseling between right. students and and that's why we have internships and practicums right you know yeah and then this personality in front of you that you're trying to and build networks in your brain to visualize yourself saying things that they say acting how they act in front of you right if you're online I would not want to run that program right right and the modeling is hard and role-playing I mean think about how much role-playing you guys probably did in your program and right you can do that online but it's a lot harder so I mean that's just a silly example but thinking about are there the supports in place to really facilitate somebody's development as a counselor and I think that's a big thing for me that I've realized in this position yes we have to impart knowledge Yes, we have to develop skills, but there's something about developing a person 
that I think is really critical, particularly for our field and also for us as Christians that I'm not sure, I feel like those are where I'm not sure it's always done well because those are hard things to do and they're not boxes we can check where yes, we offered human growth and we offer diagnosis. There's a little something more, much more nuanced there that I want to develop in our program and I think we are, but may not exist across the board. That has been tricky to work with. And I, I also think really essential too, um, not just developing here's a person who knows their theory and can do good paperwork, but a person who's genuinely a good person, a whole person, a healthy person, and you know a really self-aware person, which yeah. may, maybe that sort of gets covered in having a counseling student do their own counseling, go through their own process. And I think that's pretty standard in most most programs, but... Not as standard as you'd think, but that is a step in the right direction. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, good step. Yeah, what, what I've always told my students, in, you know, in a Christian context, you know, you yourself, you know, aside from the Holy Spirit, are the most important tool you bring with you into the room. And so, right. you, know, you, you, know, you know, physically you need to be well-managed. Uh, emotionally, right. mentally, relationally, you need to be stable at least. Yeah. Uh, ideally, you know, existentially, you know, self-actualizedly, you know, kind of self-aware or kind yeah. of resolved. And, you know, it would help if you've, you know, worked through your, your traumas and your biases and, right. you know, at least know your triggers, know your instincts and why they work. Because, you know, I know what I've discovered in my practice is that, you know, all my buttons get pushed and all my triggers get hammered on all of the time. Right. So, you know, I can come away from a session, you know, from a day, you know, a person has too many days of the, too many of those days in a row, you know, you <laughs> right. burn out. Right. And, and I'm sure people who come into the counseling field, sometimes they do so because they're working through their own stuff. Never. No. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we've got a lot of people that are, you know, triggerable and absolutely, yeah, <laughs> uh, have emotional fatigue and yeah, yeah. we've yeah. got our own stuff to work through. Yeah. And research is going to obviously support that so much of what happens in, tr- in the room that makes counseling successful is just the rapport and the relationship, which yeah. is coming out of the presence of the therapist. And mm-hmm. so I know students want to sometimes, well, I want more worksheets I can do and I want more tools and that all is great. But I think becoming the kind of person that can build that rapport, really make somebody feel held and heard and manage their own stuff is is much harder and much more central than Mm -hmm. maybe especially new therapists often realize and want to give it credit for. For sure. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, everything that I've learned about attunement and modeling and addictions and recovery and neurobiology and like everything that has to do with patterns patterns are made and reinforced by emotionally deep relationships yeah that's how they're Mm -hmm. made and sustained and so yeah you create a healthy relationship with your client you model what that is what that feels like they get to have the real lived experience of this is what healthy relationship feels like i can exist safely here i can interact right. it becomes here. predictive yeah and yeah then that, that is curative that is really powerful absolutely um, i don't know if that's billable but that's too bad <laughs> what, what code is that again yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember that one yeah healthy person 908 yeah healthy remodeling I, right. I think it's a framework though right yeah. we add the cbt or the dbt or whatever on top right. of it but having that framework but of like really said, being able to listen and yeah yeah that attachment attach. being maybe more significant clinically than the code you're using right um that yeah the, the codes we choose is important the approach we choose is important but 
it you being attached to your client and then being attached to you being the greater variable that maybe isn't reflected in a code. Right, right. Yeah. And that counselors need really foundational things like mm -hmm. being able to not only listen to what the client is saying and empathize with that, but listen to themselves and what's coming up in them and how do they monitor that? How do they use that therapeutically? Those are some pretty intricate skills that yeah. may not have a code, but lend to that attachment and become right. really important in the attunement and I think that the healing ultimately of the people that we're seeing mm -hmm. yeah there is a maxim in some recovery circles where we say you were likely most deeply wounded in relationship and you will be most greatly healed in relationship yeah and sometimes they're talking about like an intimate partnership or friendship or a community but the the clinical relationship can definitely be a good stand-in and a good good relationship to fill that bill at least for for a season yeah you know i have a psychodynamic background so you're speaking my language oh, okay. especially yeah. so, go towards so attachment so i did a psychodynamic but, internship okay you know my brain works very yep. very differently and and again it's emotionally difficult right so i only have two or three psychodynamic clients at a time smart so it's hard work yes very, very hard work yes very deep I can retreat into my computers yes you know? <laughs> no that's yeah. great yeah. yeah yeah psychodynamic favorite <laughs> i love it too and attachment especially mm -hmm. but psychodynamic in general recognizing the importance of these relationships and the healing that happens just through the relationship mm -hmm. even if it doesn't have a code mm -hmm. yeah yes yeah. and i wonder about the spiritual too which i think is a piece we're just starting to figure out but right. obviously as multnomah we really want to take seriously having integration in the classroom and I was even just talking with one of our adjuncts tonight and we we're agreeing there's a lot of lip service to wanting to do integration between psychology and theology but what that actually looks like in the program is not in much I mean sometimes right. it's well, we talk about how to be, how to integrate spirituality and be ethical. I think my program that I went to did a great job and it was just, okay, how, do, what is integration? What are the different like theories and models of how to integrate? But that's still not actually doing integration, right? So we're really trying to figure out how do we do that? And some of that at a conceptual level, but I think also at a formative level, how do we, how do we shape the counselor, the student, such that when they graduate, they're not a burnt out, exhausted person because they just finished their graduate degree. Sure, they're going to be tired, but how do we shape them such that they are more empathic, more whole, more Christ-like, more able to walk with the Holy Spirit in their session? That's really easy to say, but like putting that into the coursework is a really fun challenge for sure, but something yeah, I, I feel a whole level of this that I feel really passionate about is and really blessed to be able to play with at a Christian school. You know, we're, you know, supported, funded by the Multnomah Mac program. Uh, what are some of the distinctives of the master's in counseling program at Multnomah University compared to all of the other really great counseling programs here in the Portland area? It's a great question. I think we're very much hitting on our two biggest distinctives. Um, I, I feel like we would be similar to other programs in our coursework and the knowledge and the skills we're teaching, the commitment to academic excellence, professional identity, you know, diversity, all of that I think would be are important to us, but would be similar to other schools. I think what makes us distinctive is partially that we're really trying to form people who can really be empathic. Um, I would maybe put that in the context of like a Rogerian or a person-centered stance, but really not just a hat you put on, but a, a way you can embody a presence that's healing. And we're really trying to slow students down until they get that. And then, yes, expose them to a lot of models and give them tools, but really try to make sure that they can 
they can be that as much as do that, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that's one distinctive. And then the other one is the spiritual integration for sure. We're really, I think, taking that to some new levels where we're trying to actually have a whole systematic theology textbook that we've integrated in with our coursework to help students think about conceptually, you know, if I'm learning about diagnosis, what, do, how do, what is the sin and fall? You know, if I read about that, how does that inform my understanding of psychopathology? How do I put these together to make more sense? How to do this ethically, even with clients that aren't Christians. Um, but then also formatively, we, we're starting to add prayer projects into classes, being to add some spiritual direction, even as an elective into our program in the next year or two. So really thinking again about how do we even force students to uh, wrestle with some of the material personally and wrestle with it before God and come out really having grown on some of those levels and not just knowing more, if that makes sense. I think that does. And I, and I like the really holistic tone of that one, you know, recognizing that, you know, to do spiritual integration, you know, if that's, if that's a value for you, you know, it's not just, oh, like I'm going to put this label on my website or I'm throwing a Bible verse here and there, but to really wrestle with what is your full worldview? What are the right. implications right. of every aspect of your worldview? Right. And how does that impact how you're going to make, you know, really tiny little decisions and really big decisions right. in the in the session? How um, do you view the person and their brokenness, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it does. It, it is different. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it, it changed the way that I treat PTSD. I won't go really? into great detail, but yeah. Give us a thumbnail sketch. So I, I think that the the cause of PTSD, the diagnostic criteria, maybe mm-hmm. what the VA, when I worked with the Army, what they thought it was and what caused it was, was pretty off. 9-11 okay. really abolished the criteria that we, or the cause, the neuro causes that we thought were going on. Um, that it really is a strong element of shame and self-violation. So mm. this kind of, we acted outside of how we saw ourselves. Mm. Um, so there was some sort of self-violation of some kind, which is yeah. usually a secret, usually shame, usually some sort of violation. Um, and that's that's always there. And that all the other variables that we try to attribute to it, like overexcitability or fear of death, there's some pretty dramatic scenarios like 9-11 that disproved that. Hmm. You know, people didn't, we didn't see, you know, you didn't see two million people get PTSD from 9-11 in New York. It, yeah. just, it didn't happen. Uh, the, the research is pretty clear. You can, you know, look up uh, Bessel van der Kolk's research. Yeah. Um, so so what, what was the variable that causes PTSD if it's not the overexcitability of the neurons? And, and it does come down to, like, we have a capacity of great evil, and part of healing mm-hmm. PTSD is, is facing that. Wow. This uh, sounds very yeah. existential, too, yeah. but definitely a huge <laughs> right. spiritual component yeah. to it. it well, yeah. well, I mean, I think, I think studying, you know, Christian faith, you know, brings us to this point that we accept that we are broken and yeah. that we need intervention um, and that maybe a traditional view of, like, have great self-esteem, think well of yourself, think positive of yourself, like, that's not going to get you out of that hole. Right. It's not going to cut it. Nope, it's there not. There has to be an acceptance of, um, um, you know, negative human potential. Right. And there has to be kind of an arm up to pull you out. Yeah. And uh, so under the context of Christian faith and my faith, um, we have those concepts of grace. Yeah. That are really kind of imbued into, uh, some would argue, even our DNA, mm-hmm. um, that we need that. Yeah. So <laughs> grace and salvation and mm-hmm. all of those pieces that they feel I picture yeah, the arm up, absolutely. right? It's just yep, seems absolutely. so relevant as you're talking mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. yeah. And even That's psychologists beautiful. are starting to talk about it outside of even faith because it's evident in science, it's evident in research. Yeah. So, you know, people who don't want to attribute it to a specific faith are saying, Well, these concepts at least have these, you know, there's some sort of meme gene interaction between, mm-hmm. you know, these concepts of needing salvation and and how we actually f- existentially function. 
Hmm. So there's there's evidence in research, unfortunately. If you know, if we if you can't get there one way or the other, there's there's evidence there. Yeah. That we do function a certain way. Yeah. So I believe that. That's mm-hmm. really cool. And one of my well, one of the aspects of inter- integrating theology that I've really come to appreciate, I mean, especially as I'm journeying into orthodoxy, is mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> having a more of a functional place for suffering and for pain as something other than that thing to avoid at all costs. Right. And at least in, the, in an orthodox worldview, um, suffering has a role, and it's not an evil unto in itself. It's uncomfortable, and nobody likes it. But there's also a lot of potential opportunities for, for growth, for sanctification through that. Right. And so embracing that for me allows, well, I know for my own for my own life, it allows me to, like, you know, it it frees me from the burden of having to escape suffering immediately at all costs all mm-hmm. the time. And it allows me to experience some suffering, some degrees of pain and suffering, you know, in my white male privilege framework, of course, uh, without completely crumbling or needing to addict out of it or anything like that. And right. and so part of that has impacted how I work with clients and in conversations is, you know, kind of, again, not saying, not at all minimizing here, here's this you know, thing you're going through, but, you know, don't worry, be happy, little child. But like um, recognizing, hey, yeah, maybe there's something to learn from this or maybe we can sit in this or maybe we can just, you know, we don't have to escape this. Maybe you're actually stronger than you think you are. Right. Um, which again, that's that's a that's a, a theological idea. That's a worldview idea that's different than some other worldview ideas. And, you know, for me, I get to take that worldview, you know, even apart from any, you know, theologically explicit language and, you know, mix it in with, you know, some CBT, some ACT, some good old mm-hmm. existential therapy. And, you know, that's the session. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know that we always play out the theology of suffering real perfectly in our churches, but it sounds very biblical, right? The testing of our faith produces perseverance. Somebody help me here. Perseverance, character, uh, character, character, hope. Yeah. Yes. That's that all I got. Right. I don't I'm think sorry. I got it right, but you know right. what I'm talking about, while. obviously. That is one of my favorites, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> and that feels like, yes, out of suffering comes our development as people. And um, that's, of course, so related to what we do as counselors and For integrating sure. that in. Yeah. And I think when people come to integration, Again, we could talk about that in lots of ways, but with psychology and theology, a lot of times they want to think about it in terms of what we do and what do we do, especially with clients that's different if we're a Christian counselor working with a Christian client. And that level is important to talk about for sure. And I want to train students well in that. But I really think that's just scratching the surface and how we think and who we are as people, what we bring into the room and embody, I think are probably even bigger integrative conversations um, because they're such big, huge topics, and they apply to every client, of course. Even mm-hmm. the client that is a complete atheist or Buddhist or whatever, who I am as a person mm-hmm. and the way I think can still be integrative. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is reminding me of when, uh, when my <clears throat> uh, back in the day when my wife was applying to work at a, at a Montessori school as a, as a classroom assistant. Um, it was remarked that um, even at that point, she didn't have the skill set or the experience, but they said, you're a good person. We want you around these kids. Mm. And so she was very much hired, I mean, for something even deeper than her personality, uh, you know, like Starbucks, they'll hire you for your personality, teach you the skills. You know, this Montessori school is saying, we're hiring you for your character. We'll teach you the skills. Right. Uh, and I feel like that's very similar to what we're talking about with, with this counseling thing is that, yeah, your, your skills will come and go. They'll be relevant in three years anyway, you know, and right. all that. But if you, if you yourself are of unhealthy character, 
inconsistent character, mm. um, you know, unregulated, unaware character, you know, you may be more of a harm to your claim than, than not. You know, right. your I think skills. that's why Multnomah has like a counseling department that is like fairly work fairly good yeah center, you mean yes. Yes. A counseling yeah counseling center yeah. yeah i've used it yes absolutely <laughs> i recommend it definitely, good definitely 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 so so Multnomah's approach to their students is to uh, cultivate healthy people first and foremost yes uh, and also to really take seriously the spiritual component and work to practically and practically and abstractly but together integrate uh, the theology and the psychology together in 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 the practicum right and some other distinctive so Multnomah is also an evening cohort style program yes also. there's lots of practical things so we do evening classes primarily six to ten students either come on tuesday or thursday and they keep the same night the same six to ten slot the whole program uh, there's some additional hours when they get into practicum and internship, but most of it's evenings. And then there's weekend classes probably once or twice a semester. It's still a lot to take on, on top of, you know, working and the rest of life. I'm not going to lie about that, but we try to make it as much as possible fit somebody who has a life and just isn't necessarily 21 and can't just, just do this. We do have those students, but we have a lot of students that are 30, 40, 50 and, have a family, maybe have another job and are trying to balance all yeah, this. I can personally relate to that demographic. And yeah, it was a good fit for me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the, definitely some of those practical uh, distinctives as well. It takes a little over two years. It's intensive, but it's great. Uh, community is another part of our distinctive. You've heard me talk about that already. Uh, we use a cohort model, which at times can get messy because you're doing things in relationship with people and that gets messy. Um, you get to know those like... 30, 40 people really well. Yeah. yeah. Mean, and our really cohorts well. are small. Often some of them are eight to 15 even. So oh, you yeah. really get to know these people and you really get to do life with them. And I hope that, and I think that helps students um, feel less alone and have support as they go through the program. But these are also probably the people you're going to consult with 20 years after you finish your degree as well, yeah. after going through I'm with them. Five or six or seven years, I can't count. But yeah, I still yes. consult. I, I met with at least three of my former students, like former classmates. I've yeah. seen them this week. Yeah. So it's not absolutely unusual at all. <laughs> no. And and part of that is you know some of graduate school can be so competitive that it feels like you're competing for all the honors or the grades. And we really try to get away from that culture and really make it about support and community. And with the faculty and across cohorts too, really trying to foster that. We have an ice cream social tonight and like a summer evening in a couple of weeks. We're gonna get out sidewalk chalk and popsicles and just like have fun on the break so just trying to cultivate community i think somebody's planning a fourth of july barbecue for everybody um we know people are busy so that kind of stuff isn't required but we're really really feel like it's a priority to feel like there's community i know our, co our cohort went out after each class did you yeah. at 10 o'clock yeah that's impressive yeah not everybody went but a lot of people did yeah I think there was very few people who never jumped on that bandwagon yeah the vast majority of them went on a fairly regular basis maybe not every week but that's yeah. what a cool thing not was, only to connect excellent. but i can oh, yeah, only imagine you'd, you'd talk through what you heard oh right? yeah well, we kind of have, have to, to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're trying to decompress but you get to do that in a way that right. takes it deeper and allows you to process it that's really cool that's good yeah. yeah i love it you guys went through a lot of multnomah stuff are there other things that stick out to you as distinctives yeah i'm sure i can come up with some you don't um, have to 
you know, as you said, I, for me, I really appreciated the counseling center at Multnomah. And I think that for a counseling program to exist uh, at the school, it's really good that we're all checking our own personal health. Yeah. You know, we have to know why we're drawn to this field just because we're drawn to it for our own developmental reasons doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue it, but we should sort that stuff out. Absolutely. Um, and that's really critical. Again, I think everybody, I, I think there's very few exceptions <laughs> to that rule. Most people should should check themselves really carefully and Multnomah offers services for that. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, I loved the cohort style model. I think that was a great feature. Um, I liked a lot of the professors. They were willing to meet outside of class and chat and they had a lot of personal uh, hands-on experience so I wasn't necessarily talking to somebody who's been a teacher their entire career and they're teaching theory right I feel like I'm talking to people who are seeing clients up until six o'clock and yeah. then they're showing up and they're they're giving real world experience and like this is this is how it's going to feel and look like absolutely and uh it's not always that way I mean I, I took a lot of psychology classes because I did some drug and alcohol work uh before graduate school and yeah it's just not always that way in class mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just to clarify, our students do have to do counseling hours during the okay. program. Yeah. They're not allowed to do them at the Student Counseling Center on campus, oh, though. Fair. That may have changed. Only because they're staffing it. Well, so was, that I becomes was, a little bit of a dual role. That, but, yeah, that, I could get that. I don't yes. think they were staffing it back then. And um, yeah, I went, I went a long time ago. Yeah. At cohort six. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yes, but we still have that emphasis on personal development. Yeah, Students absolutely. just have to do it off that piece. Well, off and I think a lot now. of internship sites that take Multnomah and students will require them to do yeah. counseling back then when they didn't. So that's great. So I think uh, a lot of us, I think, have gone. A lot of people that I know who are cohort members with me, they were getting counseling because their internship supervisor was requiring it. Yeah, which is not a terrible standard. It's great. So I haven't actually heard of that a lot, but yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, Cindy Brosh, she'll be on the program at some point. She requires it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Smart supervisor. Yeah, I, I definitely would. The more I get into the field, the more I talk with people, the more I, especially in learning about uh, the racism classes and the ethnic competency, watching the words. You cultural know, the, competency and those things, yes. Anything to do with cultural competency, cultural humility, there's so much of your own self that can get in the way. Right. And also working with trauma and working with addictions, there's so many of your own preconceived notions and biases and judgments mm -hmm. and triggers that come up. And so to have any of those untended is just really unpredictable and volatile right so and um you know me going through I, I did my counseling you know independently even before i started the program which was really great um you know i would do it again um and you feel like you know every counselor actually one of the things that i miss most about pre-licensure was all of the regular supervision uh, yeah. i am not required well, I am now because I'm doing the CSAT training and I, you know, I really love it. I really love having somebody older, wiser to go to and say, hey, I'm stuck. Right. Or, hey, this thing came up. What do I do? Yeah. Uh, for those listening, you can always still get supervision. You, yeah. you just pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <There laughs> it's harder, I feel like, sometimes for us to make the time and the money at that point. But it's totally great. It's and yeah. It is. And I think certification sometimes yeah, I've, give I've us the excuse. I've got someone from Longview that I'm starting to see. Like, awesome. Far away. But yeah. totally worth it because yeah. there's, you know, when you find the best person at something, you're like, how do I become the best at something? Well, you should find the person who's the best currently and right. spend a lot of time with them. Right. That's how I, that's yeah. where you should start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or alternatively, if you want to become a healthy person, you know, find a consult group of other yeah. healthy people yeah. and just, right. you know, buy them brownies every week. Well, maybe not brownies, hummus platters. <laughs> <laughs> hummus platters. Right. And awesome. we're healthy here. Yes, we'll be healthy. Yes. So. I'm 
Oh, sorry. Good. I love just hearing the sense of, from you guys of, of community and development mm -hmm. continuing in your career. I don't know if oh, you got oh, that from Multnomah so. or you already so, had it, so but yeah. I just hear it. So and I, I, love it. I did multiple internships when I was a student, including going to EMDR training. Awesome. Uh, and I, I had to get a waiver, and at the EMDRIA Institute, they had to make a decision whether I would be accepted. They, I don't know if they'd run into that before. Hmm. Since then, um, several Multnomah students have done that. One just did it last week. Uh, they cool. went to the EMDR conference as a student and got a waiver. And it's now on their website. You can actually see they do allow students with a waiver from the supervisor. And I also went to Oklahoma and did a, a special internship, uh, like burst training for the neurofeedback. And then when I got out, it started. Like I was already doing extra training, but it started. And we should be graduating with the programs with enough energy and excitement to go right. specialize now, especially in the Northwest. You got to specialize. You have right. to. I mean, that's how, that's how you get clients. Yep. You know, you get clients and by, how you by serve being, them best, probably. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna stand out as being kind of, you know, just kind of the middle of the road doing everything kind of therapist. You right. should specialize. And yeah. I think that it just is interesting because we're talking about a program that we're so much about development and community in a field where that has to be ongoing. And I think that makes me takes me back to your earlier conversation or question, Reese, about. Uh, what to look for in a program. And maybe that's another important thing is a program that values development and community and formation. I would be a little nervous about a program that thinks they've arrived and they have everything set and they're done, right? And although that sounds lovely to me as a program that who's in development second, phase, right? Will change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the field will change and there will be more knowledge and uh, classes need to be updated, the course, well, maybe the whole curriculum at some point. So. Mm -hmm. Um, that seems like an important thing to look for in a program too. And hopefully that helps you guys take that into the field. Graduates walk out with it and live that development and community, which you need to thrive in the field. So, yeah. Or even, yeah, because the information we're imparting may or may not be relevant in six or seven years, but we can for sure teach here's good study skills. Here's good skills for making a framework. Here's good right. research skills. And here's how to learn. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's, we'll teach you how to learn, how to take care of yourself, and then you can, you know, further your own development on your own as you go. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I think there's where here's where we have to figure out how to embody this stuff and be the right kind of people because we can teach a worksheet really fast, but it also might be outdated in six years. And so, new students especially always want, you know, to give me skills. Let me do this really practical stuff now. And we do want to give them some of that, but really really developing the foundation and who you are I think is more important and how you can be with another person in an attuned responsive way feels even more important than some of those skills yeah so speaking of things to impart so so if you get to have like one conversation or one parting conversation with a counseling student or you know if you you know I'm watching this question uh what are for you what are like maybe the top two or three things that you want to impart to a student while they're doing their counselor education while they're doing it or perspective or they've uh, they've advanced from prospective student to actual student you know you get to work with them for you know two and some mm. years what are like the top two or three things you want mm. to impart to them teach them challenge them with i think uh definitely some of these themes we're talking about of attending to themselves um, seeing themselves as a tool in the room as you mentioned not just something they have to put aside um, recognizing that caring for themselves makes them a better therapist um, and is a necessity just in terms of professionalism for the field. Um, and I think just slowing down in that and being able to not have to know it all, not have to do it all now, 
but just really being um, present with themselves, letting themselves develop, trying to let themselves enjoy the ride and develop relationships and things as well. And maybe just not being in as much of a rush in the midst of all of that. Yeah. That sounds really great. Yeah. It's easy for us to say from this side of things. Harder for the students starting out the program. Yeah. Well, speaking of harder things to, uh, to spin a little dark for a second. So, on the other end of things, what would be, well, I guess to, to two part a question, um, dark and light side. So if uh, for the prospective students, you know, somebody's considering, hey, I'm interested in this counseling thing, maybe I'll check it out. What would be an indication or two that, hey, yes, this would be a good field for you. And what would be an indication or two that would say, hey, maybe keep looking. Um, I think the biggest indication to maybe keep looking is just if someone is not very good with people, even one-on-one, or um, doesn't enjoy that. Because no matter what area of the field we're in, it's obviously a people field. Um, Some students learn more and come farther with empathy and attunement. But I think being a people person is definitely going to help in some way, even if it's one-on-one, even if you hate big groups. But being someone who... Um, is at least curious about people, hopefully a little bit empathic to begin with, but at least just curious and wants to know more and wants to be with them, I think would be useful. Uh, so I get, I guess I'm giving you both sides at the same time mm-hmm. in terms of what might be the dark side and the light side. Yeah. And for the light side, I would just add just a sense of, uh, for those who do know the Lord, just a sense of calling and a sense that this is the right direction, even if you, they don't fully understand why, and even if they're afraid of a million things, right, that pr- prospective students are afraid of, the money, the child care, the time, the whatever, if they feel like this is the right direction to just trust God with it, and he probably has a bigger, grander plan maybe than they're, they can even imagine at this point. I think I would have run the other way if God had told me where I would end up, you know, in uh-huh. this field, but it's yeah. good. And so yeah. trusting him with that is important too. For sure. I love what you're saying. And I love how, when you were talking about, here's some indications to, to keep looking. Uh, I love what you didn't say and that, you know, you're, you know, you're not, and I would agree, you know, we're not saying, you know, if you have, if you have your own trauma, if you have your own mental mm-hmm. illness, if you have your own history of addiction, and have done your own recovery work, you know, if you have your own triggers and biases and your own, you know, racial component, you know, none of those are deal breakers. No, that's actually might be good that you have the self-awareness to to be aware of that stuff. Yeah. And even, you know, even, uh, some of, even if you have a sort of, uh, interesting personality, you know, (laughs) you know, um, that doesn't, that's not, not a deal breaker because, you know, all of that can be refined, focused, honed in on, you know, made more, more aware and, you know, funneled into your personal framework of how you do therapy. Um, you know, all of that should be, you know, in your consciousness and you should be aware of how all of that works and impacts you. But, and it may be a timing thing, right? Somebody who has tons and tons of their own stuff and they're in the thick of it. Maybe they need to work some more of that out before they're ready to be a counselor. But honestly, the students I find who are normally worried about it are ones that are showing me they have a self-awareness and a level of development around it that actually makes me not concerned. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's what I mean when I say it seems like that would be a good thing. When a student is concerned, I'm like, yes. oh, good. That, you a, have a self-awareness and a maturity. Right. We're looking for. Absolutely. It's the blind ones that are going to cause right. trouble. You if know, you think you have no issues, go to therapy before yes. coming to yeah. us. Yes. It couldn't hurt to try. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I might throw in, if you're in this field to try to make money, maybe keep looking. A, because you won't. Also, because, you know, clients are not commodities. They're not. Well, I mean, they're sort of technically income streams, but like they're not income streams. They're, they're right. people. Right. And yeah we've got to make an income but we've got to see the people 
before we see the insurance payer. And yeah. I've met a couple of clinicians who don't quite see it that way. And they make me a little bit nervous. You know, being able to see the person first, care about the person first. I agree. I'd say it would be essential. I agree. And I think I've seen really different incomes in this field, like hugely, yeah. hugely different incomes. So I think it is possible to make money, but I don't think this is the right field to go into if that's your motivation because it's not a guarantee and it's not like sort of the bottom line, as yeah. I think is what you're getting at too. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. If there's any prospective students who are listening, I would also, again, tell them to be thinking about the kind of person they're they are and they want to be the path and the journey they're on and also if they really are moving forward to maybe even write themselves a letter about what are their motivations and what is their heart as something to kind of carry with them because it is a long hard journey or at least it can feel like it right in the middle of coursework and internship and everything else and so something to hold on to as they go forward in that journey and their moments of doubt that they can kind of look back on or just exhaustion right that they can look back on there are moments of exhaustion and it would be good to be able to look back on why am i doing this again exactly oh, yeah, that's why exactly yeah <laughs> yeah well wildcard question anything just burning on your mind about things you love things you hate about counselor education things that everybody should know or be thinking about or anything that's a big question open-ended like, questions do we miss anything? What we yeah I, I mean yeah, that's right <laughs> i love like i said i think being able to shape and and just do this journey this really formative part of a journey with counselors mm -hmm. and knowing the impact they will have in that as well yeah I, I love it I think it's a lot of fun and I am curious you guys will have to tell me later if you think of other things that sure. were particularly formative on your journey or you wish would have been there that would yeah. have been formative so if you have any now you can toss them out there but otherwise we yeah. are developing always as well sure. so I'm curious to hear yeah well like the one I'm thinking of just really quickly speaking of formation so when I started my program I didn't really know where I wanted to specialize or what I wanted to do. I think I was still thinking, oh, like youth and something kids oriented. Uh, and then my internship was at a, a men's residential facility for, for addictions. And I'd never done addictions, never thought about addictions. I had no experience with it. And suddenly I was thrown in there. And turns out I liked it. And I still like it. And, I, and now I really love it. And that's where like, a lot of my focus is. And so in one of the ways that my program was formative for me was putting me in situations I would not have thought of before and seeing how I, how I could grow there, you know, which was funny because I think, yeah, I was not thinking at all addictions. I was thinking maybe more like youth and family, you know. I did my addictions internship and I loved it. I took my family counseling course, you know, did role plays and I hated it. It was like <laughs> the worst thing in my whole program, more than stats. Uh, and That's funny. Yeah. So, and then I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work with drugs. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that you're right though, being flexible and being open because I hear that so often, either the, the experiences that you didn't want were the ones that were the most formative, either because you ended up loving it or like I did community mental health more severe and I knew I wasn't going to want to do it and I don't. But it still sharpened me so much as a clinician. It was immensely worth it. So being really open is yeah. important for sure. Well, and I, what I really needed Multnomah provided, I needed uh, a lot of flexibility to try to build something that fit, you know, uh, my needs. I was just coming out of medicine. Hmm. I was working as an orthopedic specialist and a healthcare specialist and a combat medic for the military. I'd just gotten out of working at Walter Reed in D.C. as the frontline medical receiver. So I was wow. doing all the life flights and all the uh, frontline triaging. And I was actually running it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I needed a lot of decompression when I got home. I won't yeah. go into details. Uh, but I also wanted to go into medicine. And we had moved nine times in four years. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, my wife was like, no, nope, we're, just, we're just not going to do that. We're, you know, we, we can't keep moving. So 
the next thing was counseling. And so I had this kind of new therapy that was emerging that uh, I wanted to pursue the neurofeedback. Multnomah worked really well with me in figuring out when I could do the internship in Oklahoma, how I could mm-hmm. fit that in, how you know, how, how much time I could dedicate to that. They worked with me on figuring out how I could open a clinic out here and what I would need to be supervised and how I could do that, even as a student. And that's very difficult, and I can't imagine that working with every student. But Multnomah, you know, they, they overwatched it really carefully, and they, they made sure that everything was checked, and they made sure that I was clinically safe and that I had the appropriate supervision and I had the appropriate oversight. And uh, they let me do something that I'm not sure every college would have done, would have put that much individual interest into one student to let them get like their goals met. Because I came in with a goal. I came in with a a vision and a dream. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't really going to be satisfied with much else to be blunt. Because I was coming out of medicine and I was going to do something that felt more medical. I was Mm -hmm. going to do that and that's what I needed. And they rolled up their sleeves and uh, made room for it and, and figured out how to make it work. And again, I, I don't think that a lot of people would have put that much individual attention into a single student, but it worked. And I still run the clinic. Like, yeah. It's very successful. So uh, I love hearing mm-hmm. how individualized and supportive Multnomah was able to be with you, yeah. but I also just love hearing more of your story. <laughs> I feel like that's one of my favorite things about Multnomah too, is the stories that our students right. bring in and the well, life. And people and people the come journeys. into graduate school with all kinds of interesting backgrounds and stories. Absolutely. And, like I was coming off of a very intense job, probably yeah. one of the most intense trauma dra- jobs in the world and I had to decompress in a like a mental health environment yeah uh, the cohort model was glorious for needing that like yeah. you know need to be implanted into a safe community love the cohort style I don't think I could have ended up in a better scenario <clears throat> that's really cool yeah. I love hearing that well we are out of time for today so we're going to wrap up in just a second mm-hmm. uh, very quickly Kristen if a listener wanted to get a hold of you where can you best be contacted You can definitely call Multnomah and get put through to me in the Master's in Counseling program. My email is kwhite at multnomah.edu. I do have a website, but I falls by the wayside a little bit these days. But that's Kristen at kristenmwhite.com. I used to do a vlog for moms. Hopefully I'll get back to some of that That soon. But all of my effort right now is going into the counseling program. Yeah, Yeah. Moms. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun doing it. I hope to get back to it. But at the moment, Multnomah is the best way to find me for sure. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, listener, if you're interested in a program and are interested in checking out Multnomah, that's where to go. Otherwise, you know, do a program somewhere because we need good counselors and yes dr white thank you for being with us today thank you guys for having me and i should mention multnomah's website of course oh, yeah. students yeah, can um, multnomah.edu that people can find out more about the program if they're really interested and reply to get more information online and stuff but yeah thank you guys for having me it's a pleasure Absolutely. thanks for coming yeah. all right thank you listener for following us we will be back next time with more smart counsel please be sure to rate and review Smart Counsel on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback, so let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Counsel on Facebook at at Smart Counsel Podcast, on Twitter at at Smart Counsel 601, and you can email your questions to smartcounselpodcast at gmail.com. Josh can be found on the web by searching Neurofeedback Care. Reese can be found at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Pasimio and Joshua Moore.